0: This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor of Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. Uh, My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. Amen. We struggle to repattern our minds and... Even then, if we do repattern our minds, it often doesn't change our actions, and so it's sometimes frustrating that we do the hard work of learning and yet don't retain what we've learned. And even worse, sometimes when we don't retain what we learn, we don't even put it into action. You see, you can learn everything in the world. You can know uh, more than uh, anybody in this world and still be an evil person. Right? You can be the smartest person at Princeton, Harvard, Aberdeen, Oxford, it doesn't matter. What we know and what we learn in our minds is not going to dictate what we do in every single situation. In fact, Jesus is going to tell us that what is in our hearts is often what dictates what we do. And so we have to see a transformation of heart before we can experience a transformation of our actions. Now, this is hard this is what's so difficult about transformation in our own lives is that oftentimes like we want the mind to change the heart like. Think your way in the right way of acting, or act your way in the right way of thinking. But the problem is we miss that it's all about the heart, and the only way to transform the heart is from Jesus. And so we want to kind of go around Jesus to figure out all the different ways that we can figure out to change our actions in our mind, and uh, through our mind, and change our mind through our actions, and then it doesn't work, and it's frustrating, and we still hurt people, and we still sin, and we still have evil thoughts, and we just... Man, like we recognize that you can be the smartest person in the world and the strongest person in the world and it's not going to change your heart. And and then things go back to the way it is. I mean, it's so hard. You can you can live the right way for a certain period of time, but to live consistent for the rest of your life and faithful to God and do what is right and live a life that loves others and does what is right in the sight of God, to live that out for the rest of your life in front of everyone, not just the public, but in the private, to do that well. I mean, it's nearly impossible. I would say it is impossible without the transformation of the heart that comes through only Jesus Christ. And so we can try everything. We can learn everything. But if we don't refocus our hearts first, it's not going to change anything. Because the inner life controls our actions. We are not just thinkers. You know this. We aren't thinkers. We are lovers. We have desires. We're passionate. We have will. We have emotion. So if we're going to change what we do and who we are, we're going to have to change what we love you got to change what you love to change who you are and change what you do. In order to do that, I think what we call it around here is to refocus our hearts. Focus your hearts back on the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ, and his righteousness. Seek first that you might love and desire what God has and not what this world has. So a good place to start here is to ask the question, what do we actually love? People love a lot of different things in this world, right? You might love an animal. You might love, or at least say, that you love, uh, I don't know, cushiony chairs, air conditioning. You may say you love a person. Or some of you might love the ravens, right? Come on. Any ravens fans? I know you're out there. You're saying it underneath. You're not letting it come through the lips. I get it. So here's the thing, though. Like We say we love all these different things. I was just setting you guys up, man. I just wanted you to say it so I could set you up, right? I'm kidding. We say we love all these different things, but what dictates, like, real love? What is real love? And I think it comes down to this. I think this really helps us to process through what is, what do we really love? And that is, what are we willing to sacrifice our lives for? What are you willing to die for? Are you, are you willing to die for uh, your dog or maybe your cat, or maybe your favorite food that you say you love, or your favorite restaurant that you might love, or again, like cushiony chairs or air conditioning or things we have in this world that, that maybe we feel like helps us and that gets us through. And we say we love all these things, but the question is, is do we love them and what, what does it mean to love something? Are you willing to lay down your life for it? And I think the greatest picture of this is found in Jesus, who actually loves you so much that he was willing to die for you. Like, he gives us the picture of what true love looks like. Romans 5 would tell us. Like, some people might die for a friend. Some people. But what about somebody that would die for even the people that hate them? Like, you were against God, against Christ, against what he would preach and teach, against following after him, against his world, tearing up his world, tearing up his people, and Christ still chose to die for you. Now, that is an unbelievable amount of love this is true love. Do you have that kind of love for the ravens? Do you have—oh, easy. (laughs) Do you have that kind of love for the things in this world that you say you love? Like, I mean, I love this thing. Do you really? And so we start unraveling the heart. We start to expose it. We start looking at it. We're like, no, I I don't think I really love this. I don't think this is something that I actually love in my life. What do you think about all the time? What do you fight for all the time? What what controls your emotions and dictates how you feel and think? Have you ever been in a scenario where like one person can say a statement and then another person can say the same exact thing and the one person changes your emotions completely and the other person has no effect on you whatsoever? Because when you let people in that sphere of influence and you let people really close to you, what they say matters. But if it's somebody that you don't trust, you don't believe what they say, they, they've consistently lied to you, they, they, they aren't a person who accurately sees situations and things, and they say something to you, are like, I, I understand that. That's not something I should receive. You don't let it control your emotions, right? Often things that control our emotions are things that we love, or at least that we think we love. We have set up some false form of love for them. Now, it's hard to change what you love. I mean, it is hard. I'm a Braves fan. I'm a Falcons fan. I'm a Georgia Bulldog, right? We whooped up on some people yesterday, right? It was my old school, though. They are playing their old school. I, I, I like Georgia football. I really do. I don't watch it much. We got to watch a little bit of it yesterday. It was like on in the background while the kids are going crazy and asking me to go outside and all that good stuff, which is fun, right? Um... But it would be really hard for you to shift me from a Georgia Bulldog to like LSU Tigers or something. Like you just did, you say Penn State? Oh, yeah, that no, ain't gonna happen, man. Like I don't, y'all don't even have a mascot. What is it? It's, anyways, um, you, is Cougars, Tigers, Bears, Panthers? What's Penn State? Nittany Lions. I mean, what is that? I mean, it's hard to fall in love with something. Like, when I even hear that, I just laugh. But mine's a bulldog. I mean, how much better? These things don't do anything. They just look crazy. Like, the uglier they get, the prettier they are. This is a bulldog. Um, Anyways, I'm sorry. What we love is so hard to shift what we love, right? It's just really hard to change what you love. Uh, so much so because it's, it's not something that's fleeting. Thoughts are fleeting. Your mind, it comes in and then it goes out. It, it's so hard to control your mind. You, you try to meditate for one minute and after 10 seconds, you're like thinking about everything else, right? And you're thinking about something else. It's so hard to control. Laser focus our minds on things because our minds are fleeting. They have thoughts that come in, thoughts that go out. But our heart, our desires, our love, and our passion, they stay in there. That's those things that, like, you can't get out of your system. Like, you're always thinking about it. It's, it's always causing you to want it more and more and more and more. Like, you throw broccoli out there. I don't want that. I ain't going to think about food. I'm not hungry when you're talking talk about, about broccoli. But if you're talking about my grandma's oatmeal, like, I want that. I want to eat it right now. I'm getting hungry. Like, I want to go cook it. I got some oatmeal in here. Like, you know, it makes you hungry. And we talked about last week, like, you can talk about hunger and all of a sudden you start to get hunger. But if I start talking about fettuccino alfredo, I can't stand fettuccine alfredo. (laughs) When I was like, I don't know, nine years old or something, I was taken to Olive Garden. It was like one of those all-you-can-eat things. I pounded fettuccine alfredo. I went home. I threw up everywhere all night long, right? The smell of it makes me want to throw up now. I can't eat it. My wife doesn't make it because she knows I'm going to throw up if I smell that thing. I don't like it. It's repulsive. I think about it as repulsive. If you ever cooked it for me, I'm so sorry. Like, (laughs) i I've had to say this every service. I feel so bad. But it's just, I mean, honestly, I'm just trying to be honest with you. It's repulsive. Because sometimes when we think about something, it doesn't stir up in us the same thought and the same craving and desire and love as, as something else, right? So fettuccine Alfredo might not make me hungry, but my grandma's oatmeal is going to make me hungry, right? Right? And so what we see in our life is there are thoughts that can dictate how we feel and our desires and our love and our passion. But most often, what we desire and our passions are going to dictate what we think about. Because I don't go around thinking about fettuccine alfredo. But let me tell you something. I'm constantly thinking about some gingerbread cookies. Because those are so good. I don't eat them, mostly. But they're good. Because what's in our heart often dictates what we think about and often changes what we do. So if you're going to change your actions and you're going to change your thoughts, you're going to have to change your heart. Problem is, we are really bad at changing what we love. It is really hard to go from a Ravens fan to a Steelers fan. You see how hard it is? I mean, especially because they don't have a quarterback. It's hard. Matthew chapter 15, verse 16 through 20. It says, Do you still lack understanding? he asked. Don't you realize that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And this defiles a person. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual moralities, thefts, false testimonies, slander. These are the things that defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile a person. You see the mind often tempts the heart. We think that sometimes what we do is actually who we are, but it's not what we do that's who we are. It's who we are that causes us to do our heart changes and causes us to do things. And so Jesus recognizes that like, it is from the heart that evil thoughts come, and, and murders come, and adultery comes. All these things come from an evil heart, a wicked heart. But we got to remember that good things can come from hearts too, right? And how, so how does this take place? Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, which says, "...but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you." all the things you were worried about, all the things you struggled with, it talks about in chapter 6, all of those things and those desires to do what is right not do what is wrong and not do what is evil. The desire to be faithful to God and to honor Him with our lives. The difficulty of following after that because we think of the wickedness of our heart and the thoughts that come from it. All of that can be wrapped up in this. What do we do? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. When we wake up, when we go to sleep throughout the day, when we talk about our loves and our passions, are you seeking first the kingdom of God? And I know this is just like, man, I I don't want to guilt you today. I really don't want to guilt you today, but I want to just put it in perspective. When we come to church and the thing that we desire the most, and I've heard about the most today, is the Ravens game at one o'clock. I understand I'm going to try to preach through it, so we'll see who's one. I'm just kidding. But the reality is, like, guys, when we're thinking more and more and more about things in this world than we are thinking about God, then we really got to look at our heart and ask ourselves the question Are we seeking first the kingdom of God? Look, this looks like anything in your life, any situation in your life. What are you thinking about more? What do we think about? Because what we think about is often coming from what is in our heart in the first place. Seek first the kingdom of God, don't seek out those things in this world. Matthew 5. Verse twenty-seven through twenty-eight. You have heard that it was said, "Do not commit adultery." But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Y'all, this man. I think this should like hit us in the face with these kind of things. I mean, it does for me. This changed how I view uh, transformation. If you're in here today and you're like, i I've never been able to overcome sin." Like there is so many temptations in my heart. Like my my mind is so wicked that I can't even get to the wickedness of my heart. Like I can't even wade through the difficulties in my mind to even get to the desires of my heart. Like man, I don't, I cannot get past. I want you to take a pause for a second and think about this. Do you think about sin as a battle of the mind or a battle of the heart? This is really important because what Jesus is showing us here is that this man who in his mind. He thinks, I've lusted. Jesus shows him that the adultery took place in his heart. Now, Greek word for heart, cardia. Cardiac is another way you can think about that. Cardia in Greek. It does not mean the physical pumping blood organ that you have. What it means, like a simple way to define it out would be this. It's your emotions, your will, your desire, your passion, your love. Now, of course, literally, scientifically, it means that physical pumping organ that you have inside of you. But according to the Bible and the way it's used, it's always, every single time, used metaphorically to mean the inner uh, center of your life. What controls all of those emotions, desires, wills, loves, passion, everything like that is your heart. So when Jesus says, it was not in your mind that this adultery happened. It was in your heart. Think about the implications of that. Isn't the heart is where Jesus has taken over. It's the control. It's what's been given new to you. It's been what's made new through the, the gospel message of Jesus Christ and Joel and Ezekiel and Isaiah. You've been given a new heart, a purified heart, a heart that is God is king over it. But as Spurgeon would say, our hearts are idol factories. They like to create idols for us to worship. And all of a sudden we see that Jesus is what Jesus is saying is the same place that God reigns is the place. Where we have erotic love. Like, that isn't, I don't know, that shouldn't feel right. Like, you should start thinking okay, well, if I, if I got love and I got passion and I got desires within my heart, I hope that if Christ is there too, that they're going to be consistent with the righteousness and the kingdom of God. And that's why it says in Matthew 6, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and then these things will be provided for you. Because when we don't do that, when we start to seek out other things, then now within our heart and those passions and desires and wills, all of a sudden comes out erotic love, which is expressed in adultery. And now you've got a clouded heart that looks like evil and wickedness mixed with Jesus being represented and then inside of it like that they don't mesh and so when all of a sudden you think okay adultery doesn't happen here adultery happened here the same place that i proclaim christ has reigned over given me a new heart a new life a new will a new desire a new love it's a different battle Matthew 6 verse 21 affirms this too. It says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Like where the, 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 the desire for the, the wealth of this world is, that's where your heart is. And so I think we see that our hearts can be clouded out by lust. Our hearts can be clouded out by, by wealth. Our hearts can be so clouded out that all of a sudden you look at it and it's like, man, in my will and my emotions and my desires and my love and passion, all of it looked, is supposed to look and, and resemble Christ, but really what it looks like is a bunch of love and passion for the things of this world. Scripturally, there's, a, there's an example of this. It's in Matthew chapter 15, verses 3 through 9. It says he answered them, Why do you break God's commandment because of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, Whoever tells his father or mother whatever benefit you might have received from me is a gift committed to the temple, he does not have to honor his father. In this way you have nullified the word of God because of your tradition. Hypocrites. Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching his doctrines, human commands. Y'all, man, that for me, like even preaching in front of you, this one's difficult. Like, because I always want to make sure that the way that I live is acceptable to be actually preaching up here in front of you guys. I don't want to be like the preacher that they said, you should always stay in the pulpit because you got a good sermon, but when you get out, you got a terrible life. Like I don't want to live that way. I hope I don't live that way in front of you. But look at look at these things. Like I don't I'm trying not to I never think that anybody in the church should ever boast enough to think that they are beyond falling. We've seen that picture time and time again. Okay? So I want to be in here with you. this is for us. This is not for you. This is not to guilt trip you. This is for me to recognize humbly that we are all at the point where we need to understand we can teach God's word worship God. Encourage others to worship God and live a life that looks like it's honoring God and still have a heart, a heart that's far from God. That's what the scripture says. These people, they were honoring God with what they said. They thought they were honoring God with what they did. And they were, in, in, in fact, preaching God's word to some capacity. And yet their heart was still far from God. Like, it's, it's very possible for us to live a life that looks holy on the outside, that sounds holy on the outside, and still be far from God in our hearts. And it all points back to this truth, that if we want to follow after God, if we want to be faithful to God, if we want to honor God with our lives, if we want to teach God's word, if we want to worship God, it all starts with the heart. And if it all starts in the heart, and I can't do anything about changing my will, emotions, desires, and all these different things because they are full of sin and the messed up things of this world, then I need to call upon a Savior who can. So I'm asking you this morning to seek Jesus. Seek his righteousness. Seek the kingdom of God. Because in this world, we can try many different tactics to overcome our sin, to overcome our anxiety, and our depression, our gossip, envy, slander, Adulterous thoughts. um, Jealousy. Lying. Cheating. We can try many different things to overcome. But at the end of the day, if Christ hasn't changed our heart, then our heart will continually pump out other idols. Pump out other desires. And our heart will change the way we think. Our heart will change the way we act. Are y'all with me on this? like your heart is so much stronger than your mind. Desires will always conquer thoughts. Desires always conquer thoughts. What you desire will always conquer what you think. It will produce thoughts. That's why Colossians 3 verses 1 through 4 was so helpful for me last week. It says, So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. So we have set your mind on things above, but the first verse says, Seek. That word in Greek, to seek, is seated in your heart, your will, desire, and emotions. The the love that is in your heart, that passion is in your heart, ought to seek after God. We're not just thinking about God. We are seeking God. We're not just putting Scripture in our mind. We're not just teaching Sunday school lessons or life group lessons or whatever it may be. We're not just teaching things. We're seeking God with our will, desire, passion, and love. What do you love? What are you passionate about? What do you desire? What, what dictates your emotions? Because whatever the answer to that is, is that that you seek. Philippians 4, 6-7 through 7 helps me with this. It says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. right when you get to the beginning of this, it says, don't worry about anything. And I'm just like, really? Like, don't worry about anything? Because y'all know Philippians, the city of Philippi, built as a city for uh, soldiers, Roman soldiers who had kind of matriculated out of the army and are now living in this city. They literally built it for them, right? Because they didn't have space. They didn't really know what to do with these guys, and so they just put them in this city. And it becomes like really a a, a war-like city with like, Soldiers, like, all throughout it. And Paul writes to them with an emperor who hates Christians, blames Christians for everything, killed his brother, killed his wife, who's nasty and and, and just, like, psychologically not well. And soldiers all around them who, at the flip of a button, will kill them. And in fact do. Throw them on crosses throughout the roads and light them up burn them, drown them. Like, literally killing Christians. And Paul says what? Don't worry about anything. I mean, you may be sitting here today, and you're like, man, I, I, I have so much of my life going on. Like, I just, I don't feel like I can do it. I don't feel like I can handle all this. I don't feel, you know, that's, Paul said, don't worry about anything to those people. What would he write to you? I think he'd say the same thing. Don't worry about anything, but Why? I mean, you have to ask right after that. Okay, well, hold on. Don't worry about anything, but I got all these things to worry about. I got, like, what am I not supposed to worry about? Don't worry about anything. Why? Because in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Okay, apparently there's this God who cares enough about me that I don't have to worry because he's got everything under control. He has my life under control. So look at verse seven. It says, in the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This, is, this verse is packed, y'all. The peace of God. The same peace that stills the sea when it's like crazy storms. God calms it. That peace. The same peace that when men who are psychologically running up to Jesus, insane in the mind, coming to Jesus to hurt him, and Jesus can just calm peace. The same Jesus that in the midst of death on a cross and the world being shaken and and curtains being torn and storms raging, Jesus brings calm, peace out of crazy destruction and death. That peace, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. And so you ask the question, then, what does it mean to surpass all understanding? Well, that word understanding in Greek is nous, and it literally means mind. Now, hold on with me for a second, because Jesus' word is, the word of God is telling us this, that it surpasses all of our mind. And so what does that mean? It means that everything your mind is able to conjure, like all of its understanding and capacity, everything you could know just like when we started the beginning of this off and said, okay, man, everything you can learn from Aberdeen, Oxford, or the greatest institutions, and the greatest books, and all of the books, every book in the world contained in one, put it in your mind, all of that, comprehend it out, have a great understanding of it, put it into your life, all of that. God's peace surpasses that. Everything your mind could ever believe and know, it surpasses that. So you can learn about how to overcome anxiety and depression, how to overcome temptation and sin, how to overcome death and disease. You can learn about all of those things, but God's peace transcends above them all. And it's in that moment where you see that word mind and it says surpasses all of your mind, all of your ability to know that you move to the next statement, which says we'll guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And you've got to ask some questions. What does it mean by guard? Well, we're talking to, what, a Roman pro, uh, colony full of Soldiers who knew how to guard things. Now, there's a word for guard in Greek. This is not it. This is a different word, which means something like uh, to protect the gate of a, uh, a camp of soldiers, to pr- protect all of its assets, to protect all of the people inside of it, and all of the uh, stuff that we used for war. It was uh, to protect all the finances and to protect all the people. Like this was, to guard this was a high calling. They would switch out. They put different people in place, and again, it would be surrounded by these group of guards, and their life was on the line. If they messed up, they were gone. They could not fail. This was a high responsibility. So, that word guard is intentionally used for this city of Philippi because the city in Philippi had soldiers in it. And what it's saying is, God is going to protect, God is going to guard. God God is the one who is surrounding something. And what is that something? It's a heart and a mind. And so now you're starting to think, and I hope you're with me on this, like, well, okay, what is the heart and mind in here? Well, the heart is the same word that is used consistently that we've talked about, cardia. It's your inner life. It's your uh, will, your emotions, and your desire, your love, and your passion, all of these things. But the next word is not noose. We would sort of expect that. We would expect to say, which surpasses all understanding, and then we'll guard your hearts and your minds to, be, like, to, to, to just make sense, like it should just make sense and be easy to read. But it's not. What's happening here? I think what Paul wants us to understand is this. Everything in your heart, everything in your mind that you think you know, to the capacity of what you know is being surpassed by the peace of God. And so, when you look at the heart and the mind, put them together, and you say, Man, even if I feel even if I have the right will, the right emotions, right desires, right love, right passion, the right thought pattern, even if I have all that in sync, God's peace still transcends that no matter what you do, no matter how many steps you take, no matter what you read, no matter how many programs you go through, you'll never find a peace of God. You'll never find a peace like the peace of God. We're never going to find a peace like the peace of God. So if your heart's trembling, if your mind is wrecked, if sin is overcoming, temptation lures if you feel like you got nothing left remember no matter how strong you get or smart you get God's peace surpasses all understanding and our hearts need to know that our hearts need to rest in that and so we look at God's word teaching us about our heart and our mind, but we still linger on this idea. Okay, yes, God, our heart produces these thoughts and these actions, but what do we do about it? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 through 19, it's Paul's prayer. Or, sorry, it's part, part of Paul's, like, it's like this poetic uh, story in, about God choosing his people. And in that, he has this prayer for his people. And it's Ephesians 1 18 through 19. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the mighty working of his strength. Now, man, this is one of those ones, like, you got to meditate on this. Don't skip over this. Break this down and look at some of the things happening here. First of all, what in the world is eyes of the heart? Like I do, I don't. I don't understand what that. I didn't understand what that meant. Like I I remember when I was real young in the faith, and like thinking about the heart. I always thought about it like, in like the physical thing, the mind, always the physical thing. And then the eyes of the heart. Like anytime that comes up, it comes up in Psalms too. Anytime that comes up, you're like, what in the world is the eyes of the heart? And I think upon further review, it's like okay, maybe this thing is what the heart perceives the world to be. It's it's like. Another way to say it would be like this. Your, uh, your um, senses, what you hear, smell, taste, see, and feel. How does that affect your heart? Have you ever thought about that? Like, we have to be really careful here. How do we let those things affect our heart? And I think the eyes of the heart... Uh, it looks like in Psalms and looks like in this passage are, are how, how the, uh, the, your heart perceives what it experiences in this world, whether it be a, a sense or a sight kind of thing only. Uh, it's how your heart perceives the world. And so his prayer is that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that the way that our heart views the world and loves the world and has desires and emotions and all those things in the world will be enlightened. And this is so important. What do the, Pause there. Slow down there on enlightened. In Greek, it's the perfect passive. Now, why does that matter to you? Because passive means something's being done to you. Active means you're doing it. Perfect passive means that God is doing this to you, not that you are doing it. So Paul's prayer is, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened, that God will open up the eyes, that God will transform your heart to see the world, love the world, desire the world, all these things differently. And so now we're resting in the work of God, but it's good to be resting in the work of God because the very last statement in this passage says, according to the mighty working of his strength. So if I want anybody to be working on my heart, I want it to be God. Because these three things are critical in our world. What were they? Think about them. This is unbelievable. Hope, wealth, power. What do people desire in this world? People will tell, tell you as long as people have hope, they won't, they won't give up. As long as there's a glimmer of hope, they won't give up. We want hope. We want wealth. And we want power. Paul says, and this is the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. This is the the God who surpasses our mind and our hearts. Paul says, if you want real hope, real wealth, real power, look to Jesus. Who has the mighty strength that is able to overcome and to conquer all the difficulties that entangle our hearts? So with all these passages put together, I want to share with you what I kind of boil this down to, what this means to us. That according to Scripture, our inner life is controlled by our actions. We saw this in Matthew chapter 15 verse 19, right? Our heart controls our actions. Second, we see that our inner life comes out as righteousness or sin. All right? It can be evil things, but it also can be the kingdom of God and righteousness which will be provided for you. It can be good things. It can be the fruit of the Spirit, or it can be wickedness of the flesh, right? The works of the flesh. So our inner life is going to come out as righteousness and sin. Now remember that what our lips speak about what is in our heart is not always accurate. That's so why we need brothers and sisters to help us understand what is actually going on in our hearts. That we can lie about the reality of what is within. So our inner life comes out as either righteousness or sin. And our lips aren't always accurate about what is actually happening inside. And the third thing is our inner life is transformed through God's work. And so I showed you this in one way, but this is important to show it. Uh, 2 Corinthians tells us that uh, God shines Uh, light into the midst of our darkness. It says specifically, let let light shine out of darkness. That our hearts are, are dark, wicked, evil, corrupt, and then God shines his light in it. We see in Ephesians, God enlightens the eyes of the heart. We know in Ezekiel, Isaiah, and Joel that God gives us a new heart. That he has replaced our wicked heart with a new heart that has different desires, different passions, and different loves, and a different plan that comes from God and God alone, and that we cannot accomplish in us. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 13, specifically in verse 13, it says, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work. Both to will and to work. It is God that is transforming your desires. God that is transforming the will that is in you. When you think, man, I have no more will to fight this. I don't have a desire to fight this. I don't have uh, anything in me, any strength in me to fight this. Remember, it's His mighty strength that is working in you. And it's Him who's causing the will and the work in you anyways. Our responsibility as humans. It sounds almost so weak because in our weakness He is strong. It sounds so weak, but the reality is our responsibility is to submit to Him and ask Him to help. God, we need you. That doesn't mean that we're not active and participant in what God is doing. But if we are worshiping teaching think about this worshiping teaching preaching living speaking encouraging loving and doing all those things for everyone our hearts can still be far from god it's unbelievable so what do we need we need god to change our hearts We need God to shine light in the darkness. We need God to enlighten the eyes of our heart. We we need God to work in us a different will and desire in us. You see, remember these things. Meditation fills our minds and it shapes our hearts. Meditation fills our minds and it shapes our hearts. If you can change what you love, you will often change what you think about. Right? What you love, you think about often. You can change what you think. Sometimes you'll change what you love, but not always. Always. But if you can change what you love and what you think, you will change the way that you live. Change how you act. Change what you love. Change what you think. You're going to change what you do. And so as the band comes, uh, next week I'm going to continue. I could not get all the content into one message without making you miss some NFL football or something. It's so, just, just reality. Uh, so next week, we're going to come back to this. And uh, I want to give you corporate ways and individual ways that you can turn your affection and your love towards Christ. Corporately and individually, as a church, we're going to look at how do we fall more deeply in love with Jesus. Because if we change what we love and change what we think, change what we do. And I want you to fall in love with Jesus. At the end of the day, end of this sermon, if anything I can point you to is this. Fall in love with Jesus. Seek God. With your mind, with your heart, seek God. First. Before anything else, don't let lust in your heart, because that's a neurotic love that's not supposed to be there. Don't let love of money in your heart It's God's, it's God's place. Hope, wealth, and power come from God. And it will surpass anything you can find on this earth. Would you seek him? So here's your gospel responses for this week. Now, above anything, y'all, I want you to understand, know, and believe that Jesus Christ lived the life that we could not live, died the death that we should have died, and raised from the dead so that we can raise from the dead too. And in that offered us a freedom and forgiveness that we could have never found in anything else. And because of that, I want you this week to seek Jesus. But practically speaking, how to do that? I want to give you some tools. We talked about this a little bit last week. If you haven't been here, we've talked about this years ago. Spend one minute in silence per day. Spend one hour in solitude per week. And spend one day in simplicity per month. And it's just a good way to start. It's not going to fix everything. It's not going to overcome every addiction. But the God that you encounter in that time, He can. And that's why we do it. Not because it's some special work or magic potion, but because in our time of meditation, He shapes our hearts and He changes our thoughts. And I pray that you will encounter the God of the universe who can change everything in your life. So we've encouraged you to make a rhythm or a discipline in your life. A discipline is simply simply something that you do because of a thought. You think about it, and now you think differently or act differently. That's a discipline. You have to think about doing it. A habit is something you don't have to think about. You do it without even thinking about it, right? We defined this in 2019 in a discipleship series. A habit is something that you do without even having to think about it. I know you have habits in your life. If you don't think you do, somebody around you can point them out. What if our habit was to love God, preach God, worship God, meditate on His Word, memorize His Word? What if our habit was to encourage people, not tear them down? What if our habit was to to love what people have, not envy it? What if our habit was not to hate people, but to encourage them? It becomes a habit. We don't even have to think about it. It's just what we do. It's who we are. We follow Jesus. So next week, I'm going to give you ways to form disciplines, habits in your life that are ultimately going to cultivate a virtue in you. That people, when people see you, they don't see the heart and they don't see the actions, but they see the virtue and they wonder, why does that person love Jesus like they do? Why does that person love people like they do? And then you take them down to the heart and you say, because Jesus has given me a new heart. I could have never done this on my own. I'm going to pray for you. And I'm just going to ask you this week, seek Jesus with all your heart. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let's pray. God, would you transform our hearts? Would you do what only you can do and replace it with a new one? God, we cannot do this alone. The wickedness and the evil, the desires of our flesh, the anxiety and depression, it's overcoming. The worry is ridiculous, God. We cannot contain it. We need you. So God, restore our our hearts, cleanse our minds. We love you, we're thankful for you, and we worship you today. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.